0: it says and whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me but if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me uh, to sin it would be better for them for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck to be drowned in the depths of the sea so Jesus says woe to the world because of these things that cause people to sin such things must come but woe to the man through whom they come If your hand or your foot cause you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you don't look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of God of my Father in Heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in Heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you, if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. So, um, this is kind of like, this is an interesting uh, passage going on here. To where, it starts off where um, the disciples, the apostles, are like, you know, talking amongst themselves and somehow the issue of who the greatest of them is. And so that's what we talked like a lot about last week. Who's the best? Who's the best? Who's the greatest? And I had a kid this past week in class. And, you know, Mr. Murphy, who's the best basketball player of all time? It's definitely LeBron James, right? And I'm like, no, you no, know, it's not LeBron James. And so then they want to get into that. And, you know, anything to get away from math, they want to do. But the disciples are like, you know, who's the greatest? You know, who is the greatest? Um, Who's going to be sitting next to you, in your kingdom, on your right hand, like, who's the best out of us? Who's the best? I mean, you took Peter, James, John up on the hill, you know, but like, you know, you, you used you know, me and worked through me in this area, but you, you know, used through so-and-so, maybe to help that blind person, and I was around to see you do this, and so, you know, who's the greatest? You know, they're trying to figure it out. And so we talked about last week how part of that mindset's good. Because they're concerned about the kingdom. It matters to them. It's real to them. And they know they're going there. That's good. It matters to them. It's important to them. Like they're, that's where their minds are at. That's where their heads are at. Of course, the other side, maybe that's you know, not so good, is um, they have this idea that there sort of is this greatness scale in the kingdom. And that's not necessarily the way that it works. And so Jesus, you know, is probably shaking his head when he's hearing these guys, you know, talk about this. And in fact, they're arguing about it and says to Mark, and he's like, oh man, they're just missing the point here. They're missing the point. And so what Jesus does is he takes this who's the greatest question and then he dives into like all these areas. Somehow, some way, he realizes a teaching moment kind of bounces all over the place. And I'd like to think it's divine, but he's also like part human at this point. So maybe he's like an abstract, random, just kind of guy. Um, I work with a guy like this who's like abstract, random, and his mind just like bounces, you know, all over the place and different things. We'll be talking about, you know, math one second because he's a math teacher, and then his mind is talking about his garden, and then two seconds later, like he's talking about his son, then he comes back to the math problem, he's just, you know, all over the place. Maybe you know people like that, maybe you're like that a little bit, but you got to figure, if Jesus is abstract random for a minute, it's for a purpose, right? And it's divinely inspired. And so somehow, he recognized that from the who's the greatest question, he could talk about kids and children. They're going to take the center stage. And then what he's going to do is he's going to talk about sheep. Somehow that fits in. And then from there, he's going to talk about interpersonal conflict in relationships. So it's like, wow, you know, how does that... You know, all tied together. And so, for like a, you know, Bible uh, teacher, for a pastor on a Sunday morning, that's kind of difficult because he's just sort of all over the place. And last week it was a little bit easier because we could just focus on, you know, the greatness. And that's what we talked about last week, you know. Uh, we talked about three things in particular, three actions that could make a Christian great. Three things. If we could boil it down to three things, and we talked about those three things last week. And we said that, you know, for those three things, if a Christian's doing those three things, he's being greatly, or he or she's being greatly used by God. And there isn't um, any Christians who doesn't do any of those things that's being greatly used by God. So those three things that we talked about last week, right, were confession, there are repentance, and there is surrender. Those are the three things right there. If we can integrate that into our daily lives on a regular basis... We're definitely going to be used by God in a great way. How is that going to look? I don't know. It kind of looks different for each person. But if we could do those three things, that's huge. And so, we stopped at the greatness part at verse 4. So now we pick up in verse 5. And Jesus still keeps uh, children and the child and kids right at the center. Because he used children to, like, illustrate what greatness would be. Children are great. And he says, unless you become, you know, like, a little child in their humility, and in the way that they trust, and they just follow after me, he doesn't, he says, don't even talk about being great. You might not even be in heaven if you don't have that sort of humility as a child. That's a pretty big statement. So we pick up mid-story, where Jesus is still talking about the children. And so for us this morning, I thought that it would be helpful and good for us to look at kind of the core parts that we can take away, at least for 20, you know, thirteen. So three things, we're going to look at this morning. Each part of what we just read, we could break it down into three parts. Here's the three parts. They all have to do with sin. Sin being approached and dealt with in three different forms. That's helpful for us to see, you know, what they do and how they're dealing with it. So we got sin in three different forms in your bulletin. I think uh, we have numbers 1, 2, and 3 in there so you can follow along and write them down and some fill-ins. So let's take a look at this first one here. The first form of sin that Jesus deals with. So in verse 5 he says, And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. And then he says, But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So here's sin, uh, the first form of it. He talks about sin in regards to kids. Sin in regards to children. Right? So that's the first part right there. That's like our first, maybe, stumbling block. And I call it a stumbling block because it could be a stumbling block for kids, because Jesus makes a pretty heavy duty statement here. He says, And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. And then he follows it right up with, if anyone, causes them to, uh, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it's bad news for them, right? It's better for a large millstone to be hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. So here's our first fill in, right? We want to make it easy. For kids to believe in Jesus. We want to make it easy for kids to believe in Jesus. That is important. Jesus says whoever welcomes a little child. Takes up one of the kids, you know, from Sunday school. Teaches them about Jesus and about God. Jesus says that's like just welcoming me, taking me right in. I feel like this should be like on the desk of, you know, every teacher. You know what I mean? This should be the mindset. This is heavy duty right here. And, and in fact, like parents, you know, we should be very much aware of this. This is heavy duty stuff. Because what Jesus says is hey, listen, if you make it like a barrier or a struggle for them or difficult for them to understand about me, I have a problem with you. A very big problem. In fact, Jesus has like a zero tolerance policy regarding it. He says, you know what? If you take these kids, you take these children, you take advantage of them, you manipulate them, and specifically, he says, if you cause them to sin, you make it difficult for them to get to me. It's better for a millstone to be around your neck. Basically, you're toast. Like, that's it. I got a picture of a millstone. Hopefully it'll come up. Right? So a millstone, there is actually two different um, types. And one uh, would be a smaller one uh, that you could use um, for bread and stuff. And maybe we find it, maybe we won't. But these millstones could be huge. Sometimes equaling like the weight of a car. Just huge. And so Jesus is saying, hey listen, if you cause you know, one of these little guys to sin, you're better off with that around your neck in the sea. He is very, very serious about that. And I don't know about you, but like when I see stories of, you know, Adam Lanza, you know, in Newtown, and you hear um, personal stories of people that have been taken advantage of, hurt, manipulated, maybe even hurt like by church, by a pastor, by somebody. And in some of those cases, you know, they don't ever want to come back to God, ever want to come back to Jesus. There we go big huge so and I like that picture because I had a comparison of the millstones there so imagine that being around your neck I mean you got no chance like you know he knew what he was saying like it's you don't do that you know you don't do that, but I appreciate that because you know those those kids in Newtown and, and you know and the Oklahoma you know tornadoes uh, that just happened and you know twenty four kids I think you know in the school there um, you know their lives are cut short, you know what I mean their lives are or cut short, and that tornado is not necessarily due to, like, one person, you know, committing an evil act. It's just a sinful, fallen world, and, you know, sometimes, you know, that happens. Um, But, especially with, like, the Newtown thing, and um, before Newtown, there were some Amish girls in a schoolhouse that were uh, murdered in a similar way, and it's, there's just a part of me, anyways, that's just like, man... You know, and then sometimes they kill themselves. And so you're like, man, you know, they got away with it. You know, they got, ah, you know, they cut these kids down. They didn't have a chance. You know, they're innocent. Um, it's encouraging and nice to know that justice will be done by the ultimate judge. It's nice to know that. It's encouraging to know that. And at the same time, I need to be <laughs> just as responsible looking back at myself. And be like, man, you better not do anything to cause Jaron or to cause boy number two on the way to stumble trying to follow after Jesus. Because if you did, you're being a bad parent. You're doing the wrong thing. That's heavy duty stuff. And all of a sudden it just, you know, puts into perspective like what's really important as far as what I'm going to deliver and how I'm going to teach and how I'm going to raise Jaron and what I'm going to keep him from. And it sets a value system into place. Jesus is very serious about this. Better for a millstone. You to be around their neck. So he's very serious about this stuff. In fact, zero tolerance policy. He loves these kids. Loves them. And he wants them to be with him forever. And he wants them to enjoy a life with him. And so, man, you know, I don't know how God is going to handle people that have taken advantage of kids and, you know, they're sitting in front of him man, they got a lot to answer for and be accountable for. scary to think. So that was our first sort of stumbling block, right? That's like our first observation. It's how Jesus is putting little children at the center here and, and saying how greatness could be resembled in a child because of their humility. And it could be a stumbling block, you know, for them if the adults don't get it right and they don't see it right. And then Jesus kind of goes into a transition here where He gets away from the kids for a minute and He says, hey, listen. Verse 7, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. It's like warning. Watch out, world. It says such things must come, but a big warning, a big watch out to the man through whom they come. He says, If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. And I have to think, Jesus' thinking process here is like, you know, Um, If you cause one of these little ones to sin, it's better for that millstone to be around your neck, be tossed into the sea. And then maybe you could see Jesus' mind process going and be like, Listen, these guys need to understand very clearly the way I feel about sin. How serious this thing really is. And I think I shared before about a a message that I heard uh, in Kaja one time by uh, Chuck Swindoll and... It happened to come up again in a mission trip that I was on. And, you know, the title of the message, I think, was um, Grab It By the Throat. Grab By the Throat. And he's like, you know, in his introduction, he's like, I know some people maybe will get upset. It's going to be very aggressive. Um, my, my tone and demeanor will be maybe seeming kind of harsh. He said, but um, this is the way that God wants us to approach sin just by the throat. Again, zero tolerance policy. Get it out of there. When in so many ways, compromise and justification can like lead us up to a line of how far can I do and how close can I get. Right? And you're saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. No. In, uh, in class the other day, we were talking about, um, I don't remember what it was. Oh, we were talking about some math terms. So, hyperbola, kind of sounds like hyperbole. Right? So, we were talking about stuff and I asked his like so do you know because he pronounced it wrong I guess he just came from English class I don't know and so he, he says hyperbole and I was like oh that's like not you know it's a hyperbole and, oh Mr. Murphy no, I like, alright so he said uh, I asked him I said you know what hyperbole is and then all of the quote unquote non-math people you know their hands like shoot right up you know and they never volunteer they never want to take part but something different from math you know now came into play and their hands rocket up and uh they say, uh, you know, call on so-and-so. Um, yeah, it's a figure of speech. I'm like, yeah, you know, that's good. And, you know, call another one. It's like the way, you know, you talk about something. you're like, yeah, you know, that's really good. Um, and they're all kind of saying the, the same thing. And I said, like, specifically, you know, like, what is hyperbole? And then, and then finally, fourth or fifth kid, you was know, like, it's like, it's a really big exaggeration. I was like, boom, you got it. It's a big exaggeration. You know, and so now is my chance, you know, as a teacher to sort of maybe veer it towards Christianity. You know, any, any chance I get, I'll try and take those conversations there and, you know, deal with the consequences, whatever they might be later. Um, and so I said, you know, that's like, that stuff is in the Bible too. Like, hyperbole is used there and exaggerations and <laughs> you just see like, you know, blank looks right over their face, <laughs> glazed over. And uh, I'm like, yeah, you know, that time... When Jesus was talking and, you know, he was saying that as far as sin goes, like, it's better for you to pluck out your eyeballs, and then the kids are, like, looking around, you know, and, and it's better for you, you, know, to cut off your hand if caused you to sin and walk around through life, you know, maybe handicapped or maimed, like, it'd be better for you to do that, right, than, than to, like, to deal with sin, like, get it out of there. And, and you know, the kid now it's, like, silent, you know, the kids are just looking at me. And uh, I said, you know, that's hyperbole. Like, Jesus doesn't want you to actually go poke out your eyeballs, you know, and and cut yourself, and do these things. If you take the Bible as a whole, it's pretty clear when you look at it. Um, He doesn't want you to do that. The point he's trying to make is that sin is that serious, if you could believe it. And the kids are just like, you know, I don't want to overwhelm them either, you know, so... um, But that's like Jesus' point here. It's that serious. If we could actually believe that and take that in, man, I just saw that. Like, do I actually want to poke out my eyes, you know, like right now? Or would I actually, you know, I use my body to take part in this, you know, sinful thing? And would I cut something off so I couldn't maybe get there next time? Like, cut off my right foot so I can't step on the gas, you know, to drive over there and get there? You know, whatever it might be, you know, would I actually, you know, do that? And Jesus is saying, it's totally worth it. It's totally worth it. Hyperbole, right? So we don't want to, like, you know, have people amputating things. But that's how serious, you know, he sees sin. Zero tolerance policy. And I'll tell you what, if something is very unpopular in this day and age, it's a concept of sin. And so a small group of, you know, people are here talking about this, about how serious it is, and you know, zero tolerance, and trying not to play around with it, and, That is not, not at all a popular message. At all. And um, if our conversations with other people ever get to a place of talking about sort of sin or not even saying that particular word but just talking about things and behaviors that we feel like are, you know, not good and, you know, unacceptable right away. We start to like meet a wall and hesitation and fight back. You know? So... It's very difficult. It's very difficult. We live in like a society where there's just compromise and justification. And when we live around that all the time, it's very easy for that to creep in. To creep in. And that's why it's good to be around Christians, to be around church, to be around worship songs. Because in those places, if we choose to engage ourselves and put ourselves before God, because it's totally possible to be sitting around all of it and be completely removed. But if we go, and then we choose to involve ourselves in it, that's when the Holy Spirit will start to like let, some, let us know some of those things. Hey, maybe in this area, you know, I'm looking you for you to be like this, and it's not really going that way. Or I'm looking for you to live it out kind of like this, and you're not there. Or this is keeping you back from really being over here from where I need you. And the Holy Spirit speaks to us and gives us nurge, uh, urges, not urges, urges and nudges. That's what happens when you put those together, you say, nudges. Um, but He does that, right, inside of us. And that happens when we get around God and His presence and His place and His people. Man, do we need that. And then when you get, like, a really clear picture of yourself um, and how holy God is, it's like, oh man, I need to be around Him all the time. I can't go on autopilot. It's, it's just, it just doesn't work. It just... I can justify too many things and my flesh just wants too much and it's too easy to gratify. So we need to be in His presence, right? We need that. We need it. So I said we're going to break down our passage to three observations. Number one, we talk about stumbling blocks in regard to children. We don't want to make any stumbling blocks for our kids to hear about Jesus, to hear about God. And we certainly don't want any stumbling blocks of compromise and justification. So we've got to make it easy for our kids to believe Jesus. We've got to have zero tolerance the best we can in our house, in our bodies, anything that's around us. So here is Our second uh, observation of of, of a sin, and this one's kind of different. So we see sin in regards to children. Now we're going to see sin in regards to change. So, sin in regards to change. That's our second observation here. Because verse 10, he like switches gears. He goes from like, uh, you know, kids and this millstone and cutting pieces of your body off, and then he goes to sheep. So in verse 10 he says, See that you do not look down on one of these little ones. Ties it back to kids a little bit here. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Verse 12, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, won't he leave the 99 on the hill and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that didn't wander off. And in the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. And I like, personally, the Luke 15 version too. And so, if you see that up here, Luke 15, he's talking about the same concept. And in this particular chapter, again, I try and give you other readings that you could do this week if you'd like to. Um, And I told you the other places you can find some things we're talking about this morning. Luke 15 talks about um, parable of lost sheep and parable of uh, lost coin and another parable of something else being lost and um, it'd be worth it you know to read that this week but this is a part of what we're reading uh, this morning so Jesus says Jesus told him this parable suppose one of you has a hundred sheep loses one doesn't he leave the ninety nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it and when he finds it he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. It's a nice mental image, right? Jesus, like getting down and out. Puts it on his shoulders and then goes home. It says, then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. And this is why I like this particular passage. Verse 7. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I like that ending part right there because that's not in Matthew right there. right? That one is in Luke. And so, you're feeling in the bulletins there, the love that God has for us never changes. Which is awesome. It is so good to know. So great that those last two songs singing about how deep the Father's love is for us and one thing remains. Like, man, when that hits us, And we're awakened to that. It changes everything. It changes everything. And it's kind of crazy to think that nothing we can ever do can make Him love us more. So that's interesting. So then, like, we could come to church and we could be faithful in all kinds of areas in life. And he won't like love me anymore. He won't love Jared anymore, no matter if he makes it, you know, one Sunday or fifty-two Sundays or four Sundays and if he gives this amount or that amount. He still loves me, you know, no matter what. So then of course the question, you know, begs to be asked like, you know, then why do it? You know, then why do it? Why take part in so he's not gonna love us anymore? Well, for a few reasons, but number one for sure is that when we realize that He loves us, we realize that He has a plan and a will for us. And then when we help to figure out what that plan is and how to live that life and how to be refined by Him and know Jesus better is by showing up to church and doing all those other different things, right? That helps make clear like what He has for us and the role that He has for us. And then we can, you know, uh, tell others about that and tell our kids about that and have that just flow out of us. The part I like about this passage is at the end there, um, he says, I tell you in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons that do not need to repent. And I can think about those 99 righteous persons, you know, that just go through the motions. They can say the things. They've been around Christianity for a while. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees, right? They're super religious. Nobody knew the Bible better than them. Nobody knew the prayers better than them. Nobody knew the music better than them. These guys were it. And you know, Jesus is referring to these guys, these righteous people that don't need to repent because they've already got it together. And it says that, man, when somebody comes to the realization that Jesus has actually died for my sins and paid my cost, and I could never pay that back, ever, ever, And that grace covers every single thing that we do. Everything that we do. Because it's so tempting to think that I'll get rewarded if I do this. And there's like this reward system in place. Not exactly. Just grace covers everything. And man, that is just the best news ever. And you can just think about when somebody finally commits their life to Christ. Maybe it's been a battle for a long time. Or maybe it hasn't been. But whatever. When they come and they meet with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and they just commit their lives, whether it be on their knees, quietly in their heart, weeping with somebody else, whatever it is, heaven rejoicing at that moment. Man, if there's a YouTube video that I want, it's like that one. That is a video that I want to see, that I want to take part in, that would just be, I want to see what that looks like. I'm looking forward to that. And the good news is, we're going to see a lot of celebrations like that, right? Because this time here is just small, it's little. The bulk of our living, the bulk of our days is done somewhere else. It's going to be done in heaven, around the throne, celebrating, hanging out, worshipping. So the love God has for us never changes, and heaven just rejoices over life change. So that's why we we're seeing sin in different forms. Like we saw how dangerous sin was around the kids. and Now we should have zero tolerance. And now we see the results of the change. When someone desires to change and the, word is, the church word is repent. When they desire to change and repent, you know, sin goes and there's rejoicing. So then the question is, well, you know, then how do you handle sin day to day stuff? Because that's where we're at. Day to day, dealing with people, you know, at work, um, you know, long lines, traffic jams, uh, sickness, struggles, trials. That's where we are. So that's our third observation. We're going to see sin in regards to conflict. Sin in regards to conflict. Because we can all relate to having some kind of conflict with somebody else. That's the easy one to relate to. Hopefully, conflict doesn't follow us everywhere we go. Hopefully, we can go and be, and be guilty of being the peacemakers. Like Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. So, let's see the last observation. Sin in regards to conflict. We saw sin in regards to children. Sin in regards to change. Now, we see sin in regards to conflict. So, verse 15. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell everybody in church about it and make him feel bad. No, it doesn't say that. It says, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church if you was less than even to the church Then you know what Treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector I tell you the truth Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven Again I tell you If two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for It will be done by my father in heaven For two or three come together in my name There am I with them So if your brother sins, somebody sins against us, you know, they, in whatever way, you know, they um, are inconsiderate, maybe they gossip about us, um, maybe they uh, flat out go behind our back and do something, somehow, some way or another, sin against us. We feel offended, right? The idea is not to tell everybody else, you know, about it. That's, that's not really the idea here. So interpersonal conflict does not revolve for us around telling everybody else first. It says that the adult thing and that the good thing to do is number one, go and show him his fault. Now, it's all about how you do it, right? It's all about how you do it. So how do you go show someone that hurt you their fault in a loving, kind way? well, isn't that a good question? Wow. You know, definitely not an easy answer. And uh, and, and it depends on the fault too, you know, what we're talking about here. I mean, it could be, you know, an interpersonal thing, you know, that happened, that developed, and now I got an issue with you, you got an issue with me, and it's like, it's weird now, you know. Or it could be like a heavy duty thing. Like maybe, you know, someone's kid at church is getting, you know, molested or touched by someone else or, you know, it could be like heavy duty too. And so, like we're going to talk about that a little bit too, but if your brother sins against you, we're saying interpersonal type things, go and show him his fault. I could definitely tell you that to go and show in a loving way is definitely more possible when we've already invested ourselves into praying for the situation first. That definitely helps right away. Because if we're already heated, and then we come to them, and we're right, of course we're right, you know, so we're heated and we're right, and we're going to make sure that they know that we're right, because we know that we're right, and it's important that we are right, you know. And that's not the case. It's not the case. What we want to do, right, is just the best that we can, pray about the situation first. And then it would be good to not gossip, but depending on the situation, maybe ask some trusted confidants that are Christians that you can trust. Be like, hey, I got a thing with so-and-so, you don't need to know all the details, but it's a struggle, I'm not sure how to do it, could you just keep me in prayer about it? And that's a pretty safe way to go about it. And if they're really probing and digging, you probably don't want to really tell them too much more. And what you try and do is try and handle it as gently and as carefully as we can. I mean, that's just, that's the goal. And it's probably not something that we want to tackle. You know, if we haven't maybe eaten for a while, haven't slept for a while, and, you know, the kids are going crazy and we're already short with patience and stuff, you don't want to come to the table prayed up, invested into this thing and invested into it for the right reasons. question is, what is the right reasons? The right reasons is not to be right. The reason is to get understanding. Boom! Like, that's huge. That's huge. And I remember sitting on the premarital couch, you know, with Julie, and we are talking about, you know, premarital counseling and communication and, you know, it just seemed like the marital counselors, you know, were really sort of minimizing like truth, in a situation. And it it didn't really sit right. And I was like, "Ah, yeah, but, you know, it does matter as far as, you know, the context and facts, you know, like that does matter. And They're like, yes, you know, it does. said, but man, feelings are a huge part of this thing. And you can't just like skip over that to try and get to the facts. You know, you're going to lose the person, you know, it doesn't understanding is the goal. And biblically, right? That's what it says. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his or her fault. Just between the two of you. Here's the success. Here's how you know if it was a success. If he listens to you, not even necessarily that he says, you know, you're right, I'm wrong, you know, I should repent. If he listens... And like the words in the Greek kind of just understanding. That they're like, they're just hearing you. They might even not totally agree. But it's like a mature conversation. Alright, well, you know, I understand what you're saying, but I just, you know, I'm not seeing it, you know, that way. And that's okay. That means that's, that's okay. Like they listened. They understood. And whenever we're in a conflict, one of the best tools that we can use is at the end. Of where you feel like it's like kind of coming to a close, the magic phrase is, "Do you feel understood?" Man, I miss that one like a lot when I argue with Julie. But but that is the goal, and sometimes I get it. Not a lot because I'm not that bright, but sometimes, right? I get it, and that just changes the dynamics totally. Because we just had like a big fight, and I was right, of course and then, you know, she was wrong, of course, or she was right, you know, and so we get through our whole thing first, and if it's a good day, we hopefully we handle all this in the same day. This might spread out over hours, you know. Um, if we can come back at some point, you know, do you feel understood now? Like, I don't even know if you agree with everything that I'm saying, but do you feel like, you know, you're being understood? Like, you're getting, I'm getting all of what you're saying. And if she's still repeating herself 500 times, probably not. But, you know, they'll be honest. You know, do you feel understood? Like, that's the goal of the conflict here. So it say that happens in the church. You know, you approach somebody. It's not like your wife or husband and it comes to it and they're like, no, you know, I don't want to hear it. You know, I was messed up. You shouldn't have done that. And, and you just tell. It's just, it's not in a good place. There was not that listening or understanding. You know, so then what do we do? Well, it says verse 16 says, but if he will not listen, he or she won't listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And that was, the reason why that's in quotes, and you probably have a footnote in your Bible, and it comes down to a, you know, some letter, and then at the, Bible, at the bottom of your Bible, has a passage there in Deuteronomy, right? That's what they had to do under the law. Whenever they established things or talked about things, there had to be witnesses there. Um, God tried to set up a system where it wasn't like a he said, she said thing. Where it's like a they said. you know. And So that's the idea. So the idea is if they don't listen, they're not understanding, it's in a bad place, you take some trusted people along with you. So now here is where we could, you know, royally screw it up very easily is by taking people that... Um, are not mature really are not wise and they just can't handle you know the situation and go someplace sour very quickly so what we want to do is we want to take you know trusted wise people with us and say you know um, I feel like you know as soon against me this thing we tried to talk maybe I said something wrong maybe I wasn't clear um, let's see what so and so has to say how can they contribute And so that's the idea. So biblically, you know, that's the idea. It's not like I got so-and-so. They heard you also saying, you know, and then you just come blasting. It's not gonna work. It just does not work. Even though it's really tempting, especially if you're really right. But that is not the idea. Some cases that won't even work. Verse 17 says, refuse to listen to them. Go tell it to the church. And that doesn't mean like every sort of body here. The, the idea, uh, you know, coming, if it's a pretty serious matter, you know, you come to the pastors, you come to the elders and tell them, say, hey, listen, this serious issue has happened. You know, I approached them. Here's the way it developed. It wasn't good. So then, you know, I brought so-and-so. That didn't really work out well. What do we do? And then now it's up to the church, you know, try and work it out, figure it out. And then, if that doesn't even work, right? Then from there says that you treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector, and you just say, you know, we can't do it. We can't do it, right? There's just no listening or understanding going on here, and you don't even want to. So, um, this communication about this, you know, is over. Understanding in the goal is the goal. The motive is love, and is not discipline. That's, that's a big one that we need to grab, grab our head around. It's like, the motive is not discipline. Right? We want to approach church discipline, and that's kind of like what we're talking about, or interpersonal conflicts within the church. We want to approach that as a doctor trying to heal a wound instead of the police trying to cuff a criminal. That's... You know, it's so tempting to want to do that and just make our case and be right. We want to approach as a doctor just trying to heal that wound and restore it. Because reconciliation at the end of the day is the goal. We want to hold on to our brothers and sisters and stay close with them. And sometimes we have to agree to disagree. In Galatians 6, here's what it says. Says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, that's what we're talking about, right? Somebody, you know, sinned or caught in a sin, something's going on, something's developing. Says, you should restore that person gently. That's a skill right there. Says, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So I see somebody struggling. They're caught in sin. I'm not really called to necessarily call them out on it, and um, in a way that would not be gentle and helpful to them, and not delivering a message of "Hey, I want to like help with this." I don't want to just call you out on it and like address this in a heavy-handed, hard way. I want to let you know that I'm aware it's not good. But like I wanna help. And I wanna stick along your side and do this. That's a good way to handle conflict. And Christians, like we that's the way we're called to handle conflict like that. I mean that's totally foreign, you know, to quote unquote the world and you know those around us, but that's what we wanna do. That is the goal. Especially among our Christian brothers and sisters. So to summarize where we've been and what's happened here, we went from a talk about who's the greatest, right? Centering around children. And then we went to the joy of repenting and changing our lives and rejoicing in heaven. And then we went to handling sin like amongst us, you know? And Jesus took us all those places. And all of it, the common idea that Jesus is trying to attack and get across... Is really humility. That's where it started off, that's where it ends. It's not about being right to be great. It's about being loving and gently and helpfully restoring. And so personal greatness, not really our goals. Our goals really should be humility, aggression, aggression with the sin, right? Zero tolerance, right? We don't want it. We want humility to be a goal for us. We want to be aggressive with the things that we've got to be aggressive about and clear that away from our kids clear it away from those around us, get it away from, you know, my house, get that stuff out of there. And I should also say, like, we want to have a zero tolerance policy with sin, how that comes around us. But at the same time, you know, we do live in the world, and that's all around us, and the Bible makes it clear that the prince of this world is Satan himself for the most part this is like his dominion his reign right now he's not in hell right now that's not where he is and so him and his workers are actually here on earth messing things up you know in a bad way and they're trying to he's trying to take people with him because he knows what the he knows what the end story is but he wants to take a whole bunch of people with him he ain't going down alone he knows that and so we want to help like be there for people be a light be soft you know and when I have zero tolerance policy with sin as far as coming into us but like we're around it all the time and so boy do we need the Holy Spirit's help, guidance and direction to navigate our way through things Ah, I can't be around I can't be around that and then but then like see this person hurting maybe stuck in all kinds of stuff being like but God's like leading me towards this person so I gotta like watch out you know with what's around them but God's got me going towards their heart he's got me going towards them we need, like, guidance with that. That's not just stuff that just intuitively comes to our flesh. It doesn't happen. We need the Holy Spirit to give us really good insight and understanding of where to go and who to approach and what to be around. Jesus would hang out with the tax collectors, prostitutes, and the bad crowd. But God was calling him there. He knew his mission was to be there. And he would lead people to himself there. And then I know other Christian friends, you know, that will go to certain places. They would go to bars and they would go to clubs and, you know, have no clue and not really want to impact anyone there for Jesus, but just live it up in their flesh. No, 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 no. Called to be salt, light, go reach people for Christ. Go make disciples. So zero tolerance policies towards sin, but yet an understanding and a realization that God is going to help us rescue people out of sin. Who can do that on their own? Nobody. We need to be step and step low, Spirit, and just asking, him, looking for His direction. So what we'll do is we're going to close um, with our song there. uh, How deep the Father's love. Because again, I think it's totally worth it to be thinking about how much God loves us, values us, and how much He loves and values every single person like in this town right now. You know, in this state, in this region. And it says that He desires for no one to perish. For no one to perish. And now we're going to go out from our little holy huddle, our little Christian club, you know, that we have here. And we're going to go out and supposedly permeate and infiltrate for the kingdom that's the goal because right now we're in home base and it's nice and comfy in home base and, but then we're called to like go out and infiltrate and try and make disciples and it's not you know just you know for the missionaries you know and for the pastors for the really spiritual it's for everyone and so when we pray and we ask God you know help us to reach you know give us a heart for those people what he's going to do is he's going to start to put on our heart the love that He has for these other people. And then that's the driving force. And that's what gives us the ability to look past maybe certain things that would be offensive or different to us because, man, we just love them. Because we've been with God and He's been pouring that into our hearts. So we'll, uh, we'll play that song and then we'll come back together and, and close in prayer. pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us to just have that zero-tolerance policy with sin in and around our lives, Lord. God, I pray that you'd uh, give me, give us a better understanding of how you see sin. I'd like to have your eyes on that, Lord. I'd like to have uh, your convictions on that and your, uh, your heart towards that, Father. So I pray, Lord, you make that clear to us, Lord. And at the same time, um, we ask for your leadership and guidance to the sinful areas and places that you might at times be calling us into or to be near to go rescue others. And Father, if, uh, if we've wronged people in the past and we have not um, handled conflict in a holy and appropriate way regardless of what they've done but we haven't done our part as being Christians uh, I pray Lord that you bring that to our minds and I pray that we'd have enough courage to go back and um, make it right whatever that might mean whatever apologies may uh, be in store um, whatever it is Lord I pray that you'd bring that to our minds and to our attention And Father, help us to lead the way as far as uh, how to handle conflict and how to gently uh, carry each other's burdens, Lord, when we realize uh, people are uh, hurting and struggling. And help us to understand that it's less important for us to be right than it is to get understanding. So God, we uh, thank you for this morning, Lord, and we just pray uh, for those people, Lord, uh, in Oklahoma Lord um devastated uh families friends communities God we just ask that you would just help that uh relief effort Lord we pray that people would come to know you uh, that they would commit their lives to you. we pray that the Christians would um just rally and uh Holy Spirit that you would just come and uh, restore and strengthen in those areas and we also pray on this day Lord um For those who served our country, Father. For those uh, veterans, Lord, that have paid the ultimate price, Lord. We ask that you would just comfort and be with those families that can still feel the hurt and the pain. We thank you for those that are serving our country now and that have uh, died in battle protecting us and serving us. And may we uh, get some time uh, tomorrow on Memorial Day um, to say thank you to people that serve and to pray for uh, families that we know that are serving. In Jesus' name, amen. And I have one uh, video clip to show you uh, before you go about Memorial Day uh, that I wanted you guys to see real quick. It's pretty good.
1: For my comrades who have fallen, for those who have gone before, for my country that was lifted on their shoulders in every war. If I have one request, yes, just one I ask of you, it's that you stand with me now, stand Remember and Renew. Stand with those that are now serving. Remember the soldiers of the past. Renew your commitment to freedom, for they have died to make it last. Every battle has its reasons, though they may not always be clear. And I can state that boldly even through my tears. Too many soldiers have fallen in the battles, sieges, and fights. I will not forget them today. I will remember them all through the night. Lester L. Aerosmith, Colonel, United States Air Force.